On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about digital literacy. Your ability, our ability, the general public's ability to look at something online, a story, news story, whatever else, and determine whether or not it's legit or if it's bogus. And you want to know the bad news? Well, you'll stick around and find out, but here's a hint. We stink at this. Also, we're going to be chatting about, well, breakdancing again. The IOC, the Olympic movement, adding breakdancing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And the NHL contract that Sportsnet, that Rogers signed a number of years ago, the $5.2 billion deal, is that coming back to haunt them? Is that a bad, bad move in retrospect? Chris Zelkovich will join us to talk about that. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I have long argued many times here on the show, we've talked about censorship and things like that. I have long argued that rather than creating new censorship style laws and rules around what can and can't be put on the internet or printed or whatever, uh, particularly where it comes to political stuff, we should expect people to use their common sense. If a story looks crazy, it probably is crazy. If you read something and you say, holy cow, I can't believe this. This is stunning. You should look at the source, look at the author, look at things that would give you some sense of whether or not it's got any veracity before buying in and then reposting it to all your social media followers only to maybe find out later that what you've posted is absolute garbage. Uh, This little bit of extra work, if you were to do it, would solve many, much of the fake news problem that we have right now and accusations even that foreign governments are tricking us. Because here's the thing that people seem to forget. Those stories, those ideas that foreign governments are tampering in our elections only work if we let it. If we do a little bit of research, if we use our brains, if we use some critical analysis, that stuff doesn't work. They're They're not putting votes into ballot boxes. They're trying to make us find stories that will change our mind. So anyway, I'm all for that. I'm all for people using their good judgment. However, a new study that is out uh, kind of blows up my argument a little bit and should certainly concern us because it suggests that relying on the wisdom and the intelligence of the citizenry might be asking too much. A large majority of Americans badly failed a test designed to see if they could identify suspicious material on the internet. Now, I know it was an American test. I see no reason the same test or something similar, some, the similar results wouldn't be found in Canada. Uh, this is very depressing to me. Let me bring in Frank Connolly. He's the Director of Communications and Research for MindEdge, which put out this test and did this test and put out the study. Frank, thanks for doing this today. Uh, thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, you have, you've done this test before. I think this is the third year or fourth year you've done this. Are we getting better at least at the very least, since we're not good at this, are we at least showing improvement? Um, I wish I could say yes, <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, that's not the case. Uh, I will say that, um, uh, the, the survey samples are not directly comparable. So, uh, whereas it looks like there's a, a significant decline, uh, this year from the previous two years. Most of that is explained by um, the, the survey sample difference. So uh, I can't say that it's um, uh, dramatically worse, but it's uh, certainly no better. Okay. Um, what so- we saw was um, no. What we saw was probably uh, well it was about uh, 69% of college-educated adults in our survey, which was a survey, of, an online survey of a thousand um, American adults uh, who had had at least some college education. Uh, 69% uh, when they took a, a nine-question quiz on uh, digital literacy and uh, critical thinking, 
uh, 69% got five or fewer correct. We interpreted that as a, we define that as a failing grade. So, um, so that's a fairly, fairly dismal performance. What, what was interesting to us in addition was this is the first year where we look, we're able to compare, um, the responses of millennials, digital natives who've grown up with the internet versus those of uh, my generation, baby boomers, uh, antiquated folks who uh, yeah, have trouble, in, in theory, making their way around uh, the Internet uh, and social media. Uh, and yet we found that um, uh, while both groups did pretty poorly, uh, boomers did somewhat better uh, than millennials in terms of uh, just applying uh, basic critical thinking skills to online content. I want to get to that in one second, Frank. First, back up just a little bit. How difficult a test is this? Is this something that you know every person is going to look at and is going to pull out their hair, or is this something that's reasonably easy if you apply yourself to it? Uh, we don't. We certainly don't think it's uh, it, it's an impossible test at all. I can read you know some of the questions. Um, you know, if you see the words sponsored, promoted, branded, or paid somewhere on a web page, this is a sign of. We give them four choices. The answer is, you know, it's a native advertisement. But um, uh, uh, news, what is, uh, what is, what is a story qualifies as fake news if what? And we give them four, four responses. The other is it misleads readers by, the correct answer is it misleads readers by posing as a genuine news source. So, we, you know, we don't think that's rocket science. No, um, no, not at all. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some, some of the other questions, but, you know, you, you can, I think you can quibble with, you might you might want to quibble with any one individual question, uh, and I would, uh, I think I can defend it. But uh, in general, this is not uh, this is not an, a ridiculously difficult test at all. And I would think, Frank, that most people who would take a test like this would go into it expecting they were pretty savvy about being able to understand what's real and not online. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the most interesting uh, findings of the survey was the was the disjunction between people's. Uh, the actual ability to uh, to discern fake from real con- uh, content, which is not very good, uh, versus their confidence in their ability to do so, or their confidence in general in their uh, soft skills, including critical thinking. 88% of the people in our survey said they were either very or somewhat confident in their soft skills, including critical thinking. We specifically mentioned that. 88% say they're confident, but 69% couldn't pass hmm. the test. So that's a, a, a pretty a pretty serious dis- disjunction there. You were saying there was a gap between those who were baby boomers, a little bit older, and millennials or younger folks. And that, to me, is maybe one of the big shocks about this, because it would seem, I would think, that the people who have grown up in the digital age would be better at doing this kind of stuff. It seems almost antithetical to me that it would be the other way around. Well, it, it, um, it certainly... We expected, I think, to, to find that baby boomers were not as, as adept. Um, but I think what these results suggest is that there is, uh, th- that there may be a difference between, uh, sort of, you know, basic, uh, online skills, uh, the ability to, you know, do search and, and, uh, and, and, and locate websites and, and, and get, find information on, on the web, uh, which, um, Millennials, as digital natives, are 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 are, are going to be good at, um, uh, but that but that there may be a difference. You know, there seems to be a difference in the ability to interpret, uh, and that may be because perhaps because 
uh, baby boomers didn't grow up with the Internet, perhaps they're a little, little bit less likely to, to trust it uh, and a little bit more inclined to uh, apply old-fashioned skepticism and, um, and uh, dare we say, critical thinking skills to, to, what, uh, to what they find online, whereas it, it's possible, at least, that millennials are more inclined to accept it uh, accept information online because they're so familiar with the online environment. And that could that's, well uh, be. just kind of spitballing on my part. No, and that could well be. There's another part that I thought of, and I don't know if I'm right here, but I, I don't believe for a second that millennials are naturally stupid or stupider than baby boomers. I think that critical thinking Absolutely is a not. is a learned skill, and it's making me wonder, what have they not been taught in school? What has changed in their education coming along that that ability to do that critical thinking is missing? Well, you know, that's a good question, and, and it, my, my dad is an, is an online education firm, so we have, uh, we, you know, we kind of live at the corner of education and technology, and we, and we try to pay attention to what's happening on both of those streets, um, but because of what we do, we also have a, a, a tremendous faith in the, in the power of education to, to solve problems. Uh, I think what these results suggest is that um, we, need to, we need to start sooner than college, and in uh, talking about critical thinking skills mm. and, and digital literacy, uh, you know, I have a uh, I have a daughter who's just finished first grade. She took a computer course, uh, and my hope is that soon uh, that that those computer courses will incorporate not only uh, how you know how you manipulate the the, the software and, and the tools uh, online tools, uh, but uh, but will extend to how do you how do you interpret the the information that you can find online. And I, but I think it's got to start. Not in college, probably not even in high school. I think it needs to start in elementary school. Because if we solely rely upon algorithms or the folks who run Google or whatever else to be the discerners of what is real or what isn't real, uh, that, that's a that's a dangerous path to go down. Because we're now we're all human. We all have subjective opinions on this. That there is no objective standard. It's up to you, I think, to make that decision and to do that critical analysis. Absolutely, absolutely, and. And when, what, what this survey shows is that people just need to get better at it. Uh, not that they can't get better at it. I think, I think they can. But, uh, but I think that we as a, as a society, and in particular uh, the education establishment, uh, just needs to pay more attention to this issue and, and maybe devote uh, more time to thinking about uh, uh, how we can make it better. It does, though, Frank, go right to the heart of what we've been talking about now for three, four, five years in, on both sides of the border, and that is the implications that this has for elections, for debates over political or other issues, for, for all kinds of things. If we're not good at discerning, and we're suckers, basically, I mean, I don't want to make people feel like crap, but I mean, if, if this is telling us that we're not very good at not being suckers, boy, this has huge implications. Well, it does. I mean, one, one of the uh, interesting... One of the interesting things in the survey, we, we had a question at the end uh, asking folks, how concerned are you by the possibility that foreign governments might, you know, try to use social media and, and fake news websites to, to influence the results of the election? And we found very high levels of concern. 67% overall said they were uh, very or somewhat concerned. 36% said very concerned. And those, those are pretty big. Those are fairly big numbers. Um, and and it was consistent across all groups. In fact, millennials uh, even expressed an even higher level of concern than baby boomers did. So, so you had um, a, a, an awareness and a concern among people that that this is a problem, uh, but unfortunately, not a great deal of 
um, uh, ability to avoid being taken in uh, by, by the problem that they're concerned about. So, uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, we're going to find a way through this and, and, and education is part of the answer. But uh, I think it's a big part of the answer. But, you know, in the short term, it, uh, it, could, it, it could continue to create problems. Frank Connolly, Director of Communications and Research with MindEdge. Uh, it's mindedge.com. You can look this up. Uh, Frank, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Scott. I look forward to talking to you next year when we uh, do the Absolutely, course, course absolutely. Uh, here, here's the one thing about this, but here's the one thing to keep in mind about this. We keep hearing about fake news. Governments, whoever is putting in fake news, they're, they're affecting our elections. As I said off the top, they are only affecting the elections if you allow them to. Because this is not casting fake ballots into an electronic voting system. This is simply throwing stuff out there that you, or maybe not you if you're more critically analyzing stuff, but that the public is buying into and believing. If you use your ability to be skeptical and looking at this and saying, well, this doesn't look right, then this stuff doesn't have the impact it does. We're not victims here unless we make ourselves victims. But clearly, we're not very good at not making ourselves victims yet. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Chris Zelkovich, longtime sports media writer, guy we love having on the show. Chris, how are you today? Uh, good, Scott, and yourself? I'm good, and I didn't know till this week also a, a star future CFL official. <laughs> Did not know you were doing the football officiating stuff. You are a glutton for punishment. Yeah. No, I think the uh, CFL. There might be a little bit. Be- I don't think they're uh, they're looking for uh, for senior citizens to break into the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me go. I got a couple things I wanted to ask you about that uh, that have been in the news this week, and um, the first one, obviously, is the Olympics in such difficulty and in such dire straits that they are now having to get surfing and breakdancing into the games. Well, I, I, it appears that's the case, or at least they think so. Um, you know, this, this in some cases isn't entirely new. I mean, there have been some pretty wacky demonstration sports in the past. Uh, they usually sort of rear their ugly heads for for one set of Olympics, and then you never see them again. They go back to the uh, the church basements where they, they came from. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is... Uh, well, this was a bizarre one, as you uh, as you wrote. Uh, you know, like like to have you know pinochle or uh, you know some some crazy sports in the Olympics isn't entirely unheard of. But if if the intent is as they claim it is, is to to get more young viewers, um, I would think your average break dancer is probably now <laughs> in his mid thirties, at <laughs> <maybe> least forties. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, that's a that's a bizarre one. Um, you know, but it's 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 all part of this. I mean, baseball is going through the same thing, right? Uh, they're they're terrified that they're they're not attracting young viewers, and and they're going to start doing some crazy stuff to uh, to to get them uh, on board. And uh, I think uh, you know, you know what baseball's talking about. Uh, you know, starting a runner at second base in extra innings and. Some of the uh, the pitch the pitch clock, uh, although frankly I don't think that's a crazy idea, um, you know, to speed up the game. It's just, you know, it's 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 madness. It's chasing uh, chasing a group that's probably not going to follow your sport anyway. 
Well, um, it, it seems to me that if you were, and, and again, like I, I was on with somebody earlier today, with Scott Thompson earlier today, and we were laughing about the, what this meeting in the IOC head office was like with these 90-year-old shriveled up old guys <laughs> saying, there's this new thing called break dancing. The kids are all doing it. And it's like, no, that was 30 years ago. But if they really were going after something new, there are some things that are out there that are new, that are appealing. I mean, something like CrossFit could easily be something if you really wanted to go new and go out there, you could have dumped that one in there or, you know, other things like that. Even if you wanted to go way off the grid and come up with your own version of like American Ninja or something and have obstacle. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised actually that, uh, that esports didn't. Yeah. uh, Give it time. Enter the, uh, the fray. Although I think that's, uh, you know, that that's the proof that there is the minute the day that happens that's the proof there is no god i mean <laughs> uh you know esports they sorry <laughs> that is not sports uh, but then again neither is breakdance neither is but break- you know one one might argue is is uh, dance pairs figure skating what is that <laughs> well look here, uh there are a number of things that are already uh, chris there are a number of sports that are out there now that you know at the risk of infuriating those who do them, I would argue you could probably peel a few more questionable ones off right now. Rhythmic gymnastics is one that I've never quite understood. Uh, Race walking (laughs) is, and and I'm not mocking the race walkers, but who other than race walkers, like (laughs) serious, have you ever seen anyone race walking just for exercise? It's just not something anyone does. No, no. And I, you know, and, and of course the other one, uh, which still it defies belief that uh, it's still in the Olympics is uh, the biathlon. <laughs> yes. You know, we'll we'll ski and then we'll shoot somebody and then <laughs> then we'll ski again and then we'll shoot something. It's uh, you know the Olympics th- their heyday is over. I mean the fact that uh, you know they're begging people to take the Olympics mm. uh, and the most recent games, of course, when you know basically it was only two cities that were interested. Uh, so they're they're facing tough times. Um, I'm not entirely sure trying to chase uh, young people who probably aren't all going to be all that keen on it anyway uh, is, is the right way to go. And then when you, 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 you know, think, bring in things like breakdancing and, you know, contract bridge, um, which I think actually was proposed at one point. I'm uh, sure. Yeah, uh, you know, but that, all that does is hurt your credibility. Okay. I mean, you're not the Olympics anymore. You're... Uh, you know, I don't know what you are. But if you're bringing in this stuff to attract younger audiences, and I disagree, I, mean, I think that breakdancing is ridiculous. But anyway, yeah. if, you're, if you're doing this to attract, you're adding more stuff, surely you can then say, we can peel away a few things. And I, I'm not sure, and again, at the risk of aggravating a bunch of people, I'm not sure, if, for example, dressage is appealing to a young audience. Maybe to some who ride horses. Um, I, I, I was reminded when I was writing this piece yesterday about the modern pentathlon. I had forgotten what the modern pentathlon, this is a group of skills that I'm not sure who combined this into one. It's running, swimming, shooting a pistol, fencing, and show jumping. It's, it's like somebody got drunk and said, what can we put together? That would be the most ludicrous connection. Well, apparently it has some sort of military uh, basis. Back when Napoleon was a general. Exactly. But, you know, the, the Olympic uh, IOC has not been off the mark uh, in the past. I mean, when they brought in snowboarding and snowcross and, and all those, uh, you know, winter sports that a lot of people said, oh, my God, you know, you can't, this isn't the Olympics. 
and yet they've turned out to be not just among young people, but above you know among everybody. They've turned to be turned out to be some of the most popular sports in the Olympics. So so the, you know the stuff is out there. I'm sure there are. <laughs> There are more worthy sports than breakdancing. But let's put two things, remember two things about things like snowboarding and that kind of thing. First of all, it is a sport. Yes. It is a definable sport where you can find a winner. That's the first one. And the second thing is the Winter Olympics, part of what they were doing, unlike the Summer Olympics, was trying to plump it up a little bit. They didn't have enough events. We needed to add a few more to really fill it out. So hence you can do this. The Summer Olympics... There's 319 different events in the in the 2024 Summer Olympics prior to these new four one four coming in. I, I don't know that you need to be adding stuff. No, well, you certainly don't. And uh, you know, I think there, I think there's a fair bit of stuff you could pair out of it. Uh, you know, another one we've forgotten is Greco-Roman wrestling, uh, which really has to be one of the most boring competitions <laughs> on the face of the <laughs> earth. You know, it's. Uh, there's certainly enough fat there that they could trim a few things, but I, you know, I think uh, we all agree that breakdancing is probably not the road to mm. uh, a big success. I'm just delighted and relieved that when they do Greco-Roman wrestling, they're not so beholden to tradition. They have to do it like the original <laughs> way, where everybody is nude. That would be like a, that would be like rewatching that scene from Borat. I mean, it would be just terrifying. You know, you can only do it after midnight on cable. <laughs> um. Yeah, it is, uh, and there are sports, as you say, that are legitimate sports that can't get a hearing here. Can't, I mean, well, ba- you, you mentioned softball and uh, baseball. baseball uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, those are kind of sports, and they're played around the world. Uh, and what about I mean, cricket? Cricket, not so much, um, but there's probably more. Po- you know, probably more people watch cricket than than take part in breakdancing. I guarantee you that. Th- well, if you only count. India, Pakistan, uh, Britain, Great Britain, and maybe Australia, New Zealand, and, and yeah, South Amer- and South Caribbean. Africa, and the Caribbean. Caribbean. I mean, yeah. there, there's there's at least as many people into cricket with that as there is with almost any other sport. You're talking two yeah. billion people. Yep, and uh, one key thing is, like you say, it, it's a, it's an actual sport. <laughs> it is an actual sport. Yeah, that and, is. Um, and my my feeling is, anytime you you add more judge sports, you're just asking for trouble. Uh, let's move on to something else because I can't take any more breakdancing. And, and as I say, I, I do think there's going to be a bunch of 40-year-old guys dusting off their cardboard <laughs> mats and going, okay, maybe I can get back into shape and make the national team. Um, maybe they have a master's division. That would be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, switching topics a little bit. And we don't normally, it's, I don't know that I'm even allowed to, but I'm going to. I don't think anyone's going to fire me. But we don't normally talk about other radio stations and other media on here. No, most places don't, but I think we should today because uh, we have been hearing about a lot of things that may be going on down the road at uh, at Sportsnet. And uh, Bob McCowan, who was on a, a different station on the Fan 590, he signed off this week. No one seems to think that he did that voluntarily. Maybe he did, but it doesn't seem like that. Sure, he didn't. <laughs> uh, is this all... A spinoff and the sort of the fruit of the five point two billion dollar NHL contract coming back to bite a little bit. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the main culprit. I mean, there are other issues as well. Uh, cord cutting is uh, certainly uh, you know cutting into the profits of both Rogers and Bell, but I think uh, particularly with Rogers, it's it's the pain of that uh, that that uh, millstone of a contract because I mean basically since they since they turned over the billions of dollars to the NHL, 
they've had like two good years where enough Canadian teams made it to the playoffs and made it deeper into the playoffs to make it worthwhile. But most of the years that contract's been running, there have been one and two teams, you know, from Canadian teams in the playoffs, which is where they make their money and where they get their audiences from. And, uh, and is that poor management or was that just bad luck? Well, you know, one might argue <laughs> when you look at the history of the Canadian teams in the NHL over the last 20 years that this is probably only slightly worse than, than average. Uh, yeah, it's a bit, bad, a bit of bad luck in, in some ways, but on the other hand, they, you'd think they might have seen this coming. I mean, um, it's not like Canadian teams have been dominating, dominating the NHL over the last 20 years. Um, no, it's so, been since 1993 since the Canadian team yeah, won exactly, a Stanley Cup. Exactly, and there's only been what three times since then that the Canadian team's been in the final. So, yeah, they probably could have looked at it and said, you know, uh, this uh, this might not work out. <laughs> and I think what's happened is it's it's sort of followed form and it hasn't worked out. I mean, they had the one bad year where only one team made it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that that was really un- that was the first time in in well since. I, well, like I remember, it was in like three or three or four decades that that had happened. But uh, you know, a shortage of Canadian teams in the playoffs, and most of them dropping out after the first round, is not that unusual. So when I mean David Schultz from who, who was at the Globe wrote a great book, book about this called I think it was Hockey Fight in Canada. It's all yeah. about them trying to win this contract. When and again, I've never been the CEO or the president of a company that has five point two billion dollars to spend, so I don't really know how this works. But when you're doing that, do you go into this as a huge optimist, or do you go into this planning on worst case scenario and hoping for this? Where, how how do you do this to make sure that this doesn't happen to you? Yeah, well, I you know that's that's a good question, and I'm sure they're, they're probably asking themselves that uh, today. I mean, they were sold on the idea that, that uh, they were going to invest this money to make Sportsnet the number one. I remember the word they kept using was the number one sports brand in Canada. Uh, no, not entirely sure what that meant. but you know, Has it succeeded? <laughs> well, it succeeded, and they, they supplanted TSN as, as the number one sports channel. Uh, although TSN actually made a bit of a comeback earlier this year. Uh, so it worked that way, but did it work financially? Well, you know, I'd say based on the evidence of what's been going on lately, probably not. Interestingly, I think all of the top executives who were part of that deal are now gone from Rogers, have moved on to other things. Exactly, yes. Uh, mostly of their own choice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the... That's the way the air they breathe at the at the top levels of those corporations. Generally, they don't have long careers there. They they make their make their moves and then they move on and let somebody else deal with the wreckage. <laughs> what what about uh, there is a sports component to this as well as the business side of this, and that is uh, I don't even know how many years are left on this deal six or seven something like that. It was a twelve year deal to start with, so I yeah, think they're four years in, five years in. I can't remember, but yeah, yeah I think it's a little long. Actually, I think I think they're about halfway through it. Okay, so yeah. let's say, let's say they got six left. Uh, what happens when this is due to come up? When this contract is getting near the end, not just to Sportsnet or to Rogers, because I I think that somebody would have to be drunk to re up at this rate. What happens to the NHL? Because they're living on this money. This is this is great money for the yeah. NHL that has helped drive up the salary cap and all this. What happens if the next contract comes in and it's two-thirds of this or less? 
Yeah, well, I think that, you know, and that's a, that's a real possibility, although it would be the first time in, in history that uh, rights fees have gone down uh, from one contract to the next. But, you know, the world, the world is changing so fast. Um, you know, it, from what I, I keep reading and hearing, people under the age of 25, they, they, they cannot spend three hours or two hours watching a sporting event. They, they watch these highlight packages. Um, so if your main product is a three-hour hockey game, um, you're, you know, you're in a bit of trouble because uh, your your audience is dying out. Um, so you know, I, I I would suspect you would see something like I I don't even know if we can even imagine what you'll see with the next contract. Uh, you've got all these other players coming into uh, into the uh, picture now, the zone or whatever it's called. Um, you know, YouTube, Google, uh, you know, we, we just may never see anything like this ever again. Uh, but, but still, I think the, the world still believes that the only television that, that uh, is bulletproof at this point is, is live sports. Uh, and as long as the advertisers believe that, then they'll probably still do okay. But six years, the way things could change in six years, God knows. Well, and, and yeah, and again, I, looking at what's happening now and the rumors of what may be happening there, uh, I, I just I can't fathom that someone's going to be doing a deal of this size again in this country. Yeah, I, mean, I think you're 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 bang on there, um, and I think you know there you'll you'll never see a deal this long either. I think they're going to be much more short term deals because nobody, you know, when 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 you make a deal like this and it's not working out. Uh, that sort of everybody gets a little cold feet, you know, at that point and starts thinking, "Geez, maybe, uh, maybe we're not, uh, you know, putting our money into this isn't the isn't the smart uh, the smartest move." Well, and depending on how breakdancing goes, who knows what the Olympics gets from NBC <laughs> down the road? Or you know, you and I may be the fogies. Breakdancing may be the biggest thing ever to hit the Olympics. I'm not going to bet. I wouldn't would not bet on that possibility. Uh, no, you know, I, truthfully, and I'm I'm only I'm sort of being facetious, but not really. The with the popularity of different types of music, if you made team line dancing an Olympic sport, I bet you that it would actually do better with the country music folks than break dancing will. Yeah, I think you're uh, you're probably right about that. Although I'd, I'd hate to see that. Uh, yeah, I hope they're not <laughs> listening to my suggestion. <laughs> Please, if you're from the IOC and you're listening, you're the one person allowed to turn off your radio right now. Don't take any of our ideas for future con- future events. Well, somebody could convince them that uh, people under the age of twenty five are uh, are into line dancing then you will see line dancing. Well, again, considering that the average age of the IOC executives are probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 114, anything like 40 years old is like a kid. So the kids are all doing it. Chris Zelkovich, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for doing this today. Lots of fun, Scott. Thanks. It's, uh, we will see. We will see. Now, keep one thing in mind about the whole breakdancing thing, and this is probably going to be the last time we talk about it for a long time. There does have to be one more vote on this. It's coming apparently in December. It will be interesting to see if the folks, again, the the ancient folks who hold the keys to power with the IOC, if the immense amount of ridicule and blowback they've received from this announcement causes them to turn around and say, you know what? Sober second thought, we're going to pass on the whole breakdancing thing. That, that is a possibility. I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked if just the huge amount of mockery that has gone on here and not just here, 
everywhere would make them say, uh, maybe this doesn't have the same appeal that we were told that it would. But I do hope they don't take our advice and add line dancing instead. Move away from all the dancing stuff. No dancing. Do the dancing in the opening and closing ceremonies. Have sports in the Olympics, please. I don't care. I mean, I do care, but not really. I don't care what sport. As long as it's a sport, it fits in the Olympics. Because you don't play football games in So You Think You Can Dance. Not that I've seen anyway, although I've never really watched that show. But I'm told you don't have sporting events breaking out in So You Think You Can Dance. You shouldn't do dancing in sporting events. My thought anyway. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.